This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I always remember Mother Angelica saying, We are all called to be saints. But what did she mean by that? Well, the first definition in Webster's Dictionary says, A holy person. Only later on it states someone who by their life is recognized by the church as being in heaven with God. And in the Catholic Church we know that to be canonized a saint involves an unbelievably detailed and involved procedure that is so complicated that it would take a a whole program to just outline what is necessary and the incredible number of steps involved to be canonized a saint. But is that what Mother Angelica was talking about? I don't think so. I think she was asking us to lead holy lives by placing God at the head of our priority list. I think she was telling us to be ordinary saints, like in the dictionary, not canonized, but living and leading holy lives, and we do that by simply living according to the rules that God has given us, and that we shouldn't mess around with his rules for the sake of our convenience or enjoyment. The fact is that God calls a few to be extraordinary saints because he wants them to do extraordinary things, to inspire us to pay attention. When we honor the saints, we are in fact honoring God, and by their lives they are serving as conduits with heaven. Miracles are involved and investigated in minute detail because they are really a phenomena or happening that has interrupted the natural laws of nature, overriding that which is normal and everyday. And in accomplishing these feats, they are also proving that God does exist and he is infinite in his power. And this is the basis on which we should live our lives, according to his rules that are very clear and specific, and not on our own interpretations and convenience. Well, today, I want to tell you about St. Gerard, who is patron saint of mothers and mothers-to-be and children, and just a few of the events of his life to illustrate how very special he was in the sight of God. Gerard Magella was born in April of 1726 in a small village about 60 miles south of Naples. His father, Domenico, was a tailor, and his mother, Benedetta, was a typical Italian mother of that era, teaching their children to love and serve God. But it seems that while Gerard was an infant, there was something different about him even then. You see, unlike other infants, he never cried. And as he was growing up during his childhood, his greatest love was going to church. And in his playtime at home, he would build small little altars and recite the prayers his mother had taught him in front of his little altars. And God must have paid attention because this very special little child's life was destined to be filled with what could only be described as a miraculous life with an intimate relationship with God himself. Perhaps the first story or indication of what was to come happened when he was just about six years of age. 
He made his way to the chapel of Capignano, where there was a statue of the Virgin Mary holding the child Jesus that was venerated as being very special. When Gerard reached the statue, he knelt down and again started reciting his prayers when the infant in the Virgin's arms came down to Gerard and gave him a small loaf of extremely white bread, which he took home with him. Well, arriving home, he gave it to his mother, who questioned him as to where it came from. His reply was simply, It was a beautiful lady's child who played with me. Every day he would then run to the chapel and return with more bread. Well, one day Gerard told them that today the lady had given him the bread. Well, this was almost too much for the family, so on a special day Gerard's mother, Benedetta, and sister Brigida were so curious that they secretly followed him to the chapel, and as they hid in the back, they saw the infant leave the arms of the Virgin and give something to Gerard. Both mother and daughter saw exactly the same thing, and that was the first of many things to come. Starting school, Gerard was a student, but religion was his favorite study, and at Mass, his whole attention was focused only on the altar and what was taking place there. At the consecration, he bowed and seemed oblivious to everything around him. While most of his classmates had great fun during recess and before and after classes, Gerard's greatest enjoyment was spending time in front of the tabernacle. His father died when he was about ten, and to help the family make ends meet, he was sent to work as an apprentice to a tailor, as well as learning a trade. He applied himself perfectly to all his assignments, but he had a co-worker who resented the hard work that Gerard did and what he accomplished. And one day in anger, he beat Gerard into unconsciousness, but Gerard never mentioned the event. Only when the tailor saw for himself how the man treated Gerard was the man dismissed for his actions. As Gerard was approaching his mid-teens, he had the feeling that he was not to seek happiness in this world, but in the divine world. He sought entrance into a religious order, but was rejected because of his frail appearance and less than perfect health. At the monastery, they felt that his health would not permit him to last. So he found work in the household of a bishop for several years, and around the age of 19, returned to the profession as a tailor, and decided that his earnings would be divided into three equal parts, first for his family, then for the poor, and the last third would be donated for the poor souls. For Gerard, this was not enough. Frequently, he even fasted on dry bread as an offering for the poor souls in purgatory. But the desire to serve God became more pronounced, and since he was not able to join a religious order, he quit his job and withdrew to the mountains, where he lived in prayer, labor, and penance. And then, at the age of 22, a friend encouraged him to become a lay brother of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. But that order, too, was reluctant because of his poor health, and he was again turned away. Sometimes God tests us, 
or good intentions are easy, but carrying them out can be difficult. Gerard returned again to the order and pleaded with the superior by saying, Try me, and if you don't take me, you'll see me begging at the gate every day. Well, his sincerity seemed to soften the superior, Father Caffaro, who sent him to another monastery with a note saying, I am sending you a useless brother. Certainly not a very encouraging recommendation. So Gerard went to a religious house in the countryside where St. Alphonsus had started a home for his religious. Contrary to what was written about Gerard in the note, he was praised for his diligence, his work, and, of course, his devotion to the faith. In fact, everyone at the monastery was impressed with his humility and zeal, and he was accepted as a postulant. It was up to Gerard to choose his own spiritual director, one who would guide him, and he chose Father Caffaro, who had written the disparaging note, but who quickly recognized his zeal and ability, and so Gerard received his habit, and his reputation was about to begin. Even in his poor health, he seemed to be accomplishing the work of several men, never shirking any job, no matter how unpleasant, or shrinking from any devotion or sacrifice. His life was becoming like a prayer in motion. No work was too low for him to perform, and he would often approach the older brother, saying, "'Let me do that. I am the youngest.'" And in the summer of 1752, on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Gerard was no longer a novice, but now became a full-fledged brother of the Redemptorists. And God's gifts were now being given to his loving Gerard, gifts of every kind and shape, gifts of healing, bilocation, levitation, cures, the reading of hearts, and, and many more. Word spread quickly about this very special brother named Gerard. Wherever he went, he drew crowds from the lowliest to the highest, and he was embarrassed by this. The brother who had once been referred to as worthless, well, that image was quickly changing. He wanted no credit for himself because all the gifts were not his, but from God. Even bishops were known to have sought his counsel. His deeds were becoming legend. St. Alphonsus himself considered Gerard a miracle of obedience. He not only obeyed the orders of superiors when they were present, but also when they were away. He knew exactly what they would want to have happened, and Gerard saw that the jobs were done exactly that way. The gifts that God had bestowed on his beloved son, Gerard, were obvious, and never flaunted by Gerard in his absolute humility. Perhaps one of the greatest benefits to Gerard himself were the ecstasies that were to follow him throughout his life. Now, an ecstasy may be described as when a soul is completely absorbed in God and the participant's own senses might be described as suspended in a delicious elevation of the soul, focusing only on God and his magnificence. 
A person's soul may be so entranced with God that he loses all sense of earthly things, such as time and his own surroundings, as he focuses on God, completely oblivious of himself and his own sense of unworthiness. It's thought that these ecstasies may well have started even in his childhood. I had mentioned his gift of levitation, for the body is not restricted to the laws of gravity. This is nothing new. Many saints have also shared in this gift, such as St. Joseph's of Copertino and so many others. For example, Gerard went to his cell to pray before coming to dinner when he visited a monastery at Orvieto. He hadn't come down for the meal, so the local priest went to his room to get him, but to his amazement, he found Gerard lost completely in ecstasy and suspended in the air at a height of about three feet above the floor. Rather than interrupt him, the priest quietly left the room, and eventually Gerard came to dinner. However, the priest was so moved by what he had seen, he returned to Gerard's room and marked on the wall the height he had seen him suspended. And these accounts were certainly not the account of just one witness over his lifetime. There were many more, and their names were legion. On Good Friday in 1753, in a church procession in Corato, an image of the Lord was carried in procession into the church where Gerard was lost in prayer. As he looked up and his gaze focused on the crucified Christ, he again rose high in the air, witnessed by all those who were present. Once when he was speaking to the Dominican nuns at the convent of Corrado about the love for our Lord, his face suddenly became so radiant as his eyes were fixed on heaven that it appeared he was standing in a spotlight. And on another similar occasion, streaks of light seemed to emanate from his body as he spoke about heaven and the Lord. Throughout his life and the many charisms he had received, he felt, like St. Alphonsus, that suffering, prayer, and labor were indispensable in his being able to save souls and proclaim the goodness and glory of God. It was undoubtedly through these thoughts that explained the powerful wish that he could, too, feel in the flesh the pain of the crucifixion, as was granted to other saints, such as St. Francis of Assisi and St. Catherine of Siena. Gerard prayed that he would be so blessed, and his prayers were heard. Every Friday, and particularly Good Friday, he would suffer pains of Christ's passion and would recover completely on the following day. It's been written that his pains, his agonies, and his feelings of abandonment were like those causing Christ to cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the next day on Saturday, as I said, he was back to normal. Trying to live unnoticed and quietly, Gerard was nonetheless sought out by other religious for his counsel and advice, as well as a source of great knowledge of church doctrine that began to attract some of the most learned men of his day for advice. Once, after explaining a very complicated theological precept, a wise and respected canon said, 
The sages of the world are silent in the presence of this poor brother, who has never had any instruction. He draws his knowledge from its source, the heart of Jesus, and not from the muddy cisterns of the human mind. In his mouth, the most obscure mysteries become luminous. Father Caffaro, as you may recall, who had once written that he was useless as a brother to an associate, even so later was chosen to be his advisor by Gerard, wrote, One cannot read his letters without wonder, especially when we remember that they were written by a lay brother who, in his youth, hardly learned to read or write. And yet he became a wonder, particularly with the ability to read minds. For example, one day he was with a young man named Nicholas Benicasa, who was seriously afflicted by lung problems and was well aware of the many cures attributed to Gerard. He thought to himself, he has helped so many others, why hasn't he prayed to God for me? Gerard paused and looked at Nicholas and then said, You say I do not pray for you? I do pray for you, but God does not choose to cure you. You are not for this world, my son. And a short time later, Nicholas died and, in Gerard's words, went to a better world. And speaking of a better world, once when Gerard was speaking to some of the brothers, he stopped as in mid-sentence and said, I have just seen the soul of Father Caffaro mounting to heaven. And the brothers later learned that the day, the time, and the death of the good father took place exactly at the same time that Gerard had spoken. There was a Father Fiore who had heard so many stories about the wonders of Brother Gerard that he expressed to a friend who was an acquaintance with Gerard his own desire to meet the good brother. Well, several days later, the friend spoke again with Father Fiore and told him he had arranged for him to meet Brother Gerard. Well, the priest thanked him and said that Gerard had stopped by his house and they had visited, in fact. And then Father Fiore said that he was quite charmed by him. Well, the friend could not believe him because he knew that Gerard had not left his monastery. So, as a test, he took the priest to the monastery where the brothers and the priests were gathered and said, Point out, Brother Gerard. Well, without hesitation, the priest pointed directly at Brother Gerard. The gifts of Gerard Magella were not just for humans alone. Like St. Francis, he had a way with animals and creatures of the wild. Outside, he would often call to the birds and they would fly to his hand. A nephew of one of the priests had a pet bird that he kept in a cage. On one occasion, Gerard petted the bird and set it free. The bird flew to a high tree, chirping happily, but a child was upset that his bird was gone, so Gerard called the bird, and it flew back to his finger, and he placed it back in its cage, where it happily settled in. Perhaps 
Some of the most wonderful events in the life of Gerard Magella were not parts of his bilocation, being in two places at once, his levitation or other charisms, but his God-given miraculous cures, which his contemporaries from the monastery said would fill volumes. I'd like to mention just a few to give you a taste, not so much of the power of Gerard, but of the power of God with whom he had such a close relationship, a relationship that was ongoing, not just on Sunday, but 24 hours a day, every day, where he put God first. There was this little girl from the village of Alieta who had been paralyzed from birth, unable to move. He was taken to see her, and upon arriving was asked to cure her. Of course, he never accepted credit for the cures, always attributing them to the, to the power of God. As he was begged to intercede with God, Gerard simply said, But she is cured. And with that, the child arose for the first time, rushed to Gerard and hugged him before he hurriedly left and returned to the monastery. On another occasion, a mother brought her child, crippled since birth, to see him. He gently touched the child, and his deformed limbs turned perfect. There seems to have been a special relationship being developed between Gerard and mothers, mothers-to-be, and their children. He was once approached by a lady from his home village seeking help for her daughter. She had told him that the doctors had given up all hope for the child's recovery, and he was her only hope. Again, he explained, he was only doing God's will, and that she should go home and make the sign of the cross three times on the child's forehead, and God would take care of the rest. She did as she was told. She returned home, made the sign of the cross on the child's forehead, and the child was instantly cured. He was becoming a mother's best friend. We have to mention, too, though, that not everyone who sought his help received a cure. He frequently said that bodily infirmity is willed by God for the salvation and sanctification of the soul. Perhaps the fact that Gerard tried to live a life of innocence devoid of sin, which is the reason probably he was so close to that of young children, that, that he developed such a special affinity for them, even after his death. For example, there was a lady named Christine de Rogatis, whose son had been ill with a raging fever for several months, and then his condition worsened, and one morning when they went to check on him, they found that he had died in the night. The mother was able to retrieve a relic of Brother Gerard, and as she placed it on the child's body, she prayed for Gerard's intercession. And then the child opened his eyes, smiled at his mother, and was in perfect health. But far from perfect health was Brother Gerard in the year 1755, and his health concerns were diagnosed as tuberculosis. Then his superiors transferred him to another monastery in the hope that the air there would improve his breathing and the hemorrhages with which he was continually suffering. 
But unfortunately, that was not the case. But he never complained. In fact, feeling that his life was drawing to a close, he made a special prayer to God, asking that his experience more closely would be that of experiencing the pains and suffering Christ endured in his agony on the cross, even more so than he experienced on Fridays. As the end approached, Gerard once said to a visitor, Pray for me, for I am suffering intensely. Wondering whether it was the tuberculosis, the the, the individual inquired, What are you suffering? And Gerard answered, I am in the wounds of Jesus Christ, and his wounds are in me. It was written that instead of making him feel even worse, he welcomed this as a special gift from God. His only complaint was that he felt he was a burden to his community. As the end approached, a strange phenomenon occurred that was apparent to all who had gathered near his sickbed. An aroma of sweetness filled the air like a perfume none had ever experienced that seemed to emanate from his body. In that evening he muttered, See the Madonna. He raised himself from his bed and knelt. Those present thought he was improving and left, even though he had told them the exact time of his death. Returning later, they realized he was dying, and during all of these happenings, there was an unmistakable sound like a, a, like a heavenly choir chanting in the distance. A priest entered, and as he was pronouncing the words of absolution, certainly an army of angels must have accompanied the heavenly choir as they took Gerard Magella home. In his lifetime, he had accomplished wonders, and his counsel was sought by the great. And yet when he died, he was only 29 years old. Well, the miracles continued through his intercession to this day with special favors for mothers, mothers mothers-to-be and children. On December 11, 1904, Gerard Magella was canonized a saint by Pope Pius X. In a world where God is often ignored, it is well to remember those who put him first. Perhaps we should pray, O great Saint Gerard, beloved servant of Jesus Christ, perfect imitator of your meek and humble Savior, and devoted child of the Mother of God, Enkindle with our hearts one spark of that heavenly fire of charity which glowed in your heart and made you an angel of love for all of us, including mothers, mothers-to-be, and their children, and that you may seek help for us before the throne of God. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.